0: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks.
1: A new kind of road rage. I can't tell people
2: how to respond when they see a, an, an offshore plate. The premier's message to visiting Americans and to overzealous locals harassing them. Hacked parks on the hottest day of the year. The illegal parking and the double parking and the towing is crazy. And a new day pass procedure, limiting crowds but testing patience. We just thought they could have warned us sooner back at the entry gate. And summer fun gets spoiled. Doesn't look good. There's a few boats burning there. A major fire at a boating hotspot.
3: You're watching Global B.C.
2: This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. There are a number of new developments on the COVID 19 front in BC. And so let's begin with the numbers over the last three reporting periods. Health officials revealing we have 81 new infections, 36 cases Friday to Saturday, 21 Saturday to Sunday, and 24 Sunday through to this morning. Our total case number is now 3,500. Sadly, we've had two additional deaths, both at Holy Family Hospital, bringing the number of people who have lost their lives in B.C. to COVID-19 complications to 193. There are only 11 people in hospital right now, three of them in the ICU. 3,043 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 264 active cases. Now, despite B.C.'s top doctor, repeatedly reminding us that vehicles with U.S. license plates most likely have a good reason to be here. The harassment and threats continue. Tonight, two young mothers say they're afraid to leave their homes for fear of abuse. And as Paul Johnson reports, our premier's advice came across as overly blunt to some. Levi Piero's Abitel is among the thousands of people across the country who in
4: normal times live cross-border lives but because of the situation, are staying in Canada. And the car they have now has U.S. plates. Who would have thought this would happen?
0: And A lady had followed me from my house to the park, saying that, like, what are you doing in our country? Why are you here? If I see your license plates anywhere around this area, I'm going to beat the shit out of your daughter.
4: And it's not just in Kamloops. The owners of these U.S. plated cars felt they had to post signs to ward off confrontations. For people who are here legitimately and haven't broken quarantine rules, the situation leaves them frustrated and scared. Here's one from South Surrey.
0: And a woman was tailgating me, then proceeded to brake check me. And as she turned in front of me, she gave me the middle finger and used a word I won't say and told me that Americans don't belong here.
4: On Monday, Premier Horgan was asked about the issue and had
1: this to say to would-be border vigilantes. Be civil and respectful. Be calm, be kind, and we'll be safe. But then, to the surprise of many, he added this. With respect to those who uh, have uh, offshore plates and are feeling uh, harassed, I... I would suggest perhaps public transit, Uh, I would suggest that they get their plates changed, I would suggest they ride a bike. And if you feel that traveling with your plates, uh, identifying yourself as someone from away at a time of heightened anxiety, I think it's incumbent upon those individuals to take steps to reduce uh, that anxiety. But for many with U.S. plates now, re-registering that car in
4: Canada may be beyond their means especially when they intend to return it to the U.S. when the situation resolves. Asked about the issue in today's briefing, Dr. Bonnie
5: Henry stuck to this. Be kind and don't presume. Many people have been here for a long time. They may have done their, their isolation and they are members of our community. And we need to treat everybody with kindness and with respect. Paul Johnson, Global News.
2: Always a good message. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the other out-of-towners raising some Mm -hmm. concerns. Keith.
6: Yes, we're talking about Alberta, folks. Alberta is suddenly a source of concern because the case numbers there have spiked uh, considerably in recent weeks. And again, they're running about two and a half times that in B.C. So here's a table of just the last three days of how we compare to Alberta. See on the left is our cases. Uh, 36, 21, 24, totaling to 81. But look at Alberta. Uh, more than an average of 100 a day, 304 cases. That bottom line very concerning. 264 active cases in B.C., uh, more than almost more than five times that in Alberta. I put the question to Dr. Bonnie Henry today about this. She says she is concerned about what's happening in Alberta and the implications, of course, are Albertans do travel to BC and vice versa. I asked her if she's concerned the virus is coming into BC. Her answer to Albertans is sort of behave the rules as we do.
5: What we need to focus on is ensuring that when we're here, we're doing the things that keep us all safe here. And if people are here from Alberta, whether they live here or whether they're visiting from Alberta, then we need to ensure that they are part of our team in doing the right things here as well.
6: So we're going to be monitoring the Alberta situation, of course, going forward as we do with Washington State. And also keeping a close eye on what's happening in Haida Gwaii with 14 uh, positive cases there now. And of course, that blueberry packing facility in Abbotsford where the number of cases there is 15. So COVID mm. certainly not out of B.C.
2: anytime soon. Yeah, troubling developments for sure. OK, thanks very much for that. Keith Baldry in Victoria. And the provincial government also updated its restrictions on vacation rentals after a recent rise in case numbers. The amendment to the order for mass gatherings affects all vacation rentals, including hotels, short-term rentals, and houseboats. These types of rentals will now be limited to the capacity of the space, plus up to a maximum of five visitors. A new survey suggests only half of B.C. teachers felt safe during June's test run of schools, and even fewer are sold on returning to the classroom in full in September. Richard Zissman has more on the concerns and the response from the Premier and Dr. Henry. It's the first look at how teachers
7: felt about a return to school in June and what they are anticipating for September. Over the weekend, the BC Teachers Federation president Terry Mooring tweeting out preliminary results of a survey done with teachers following the return to school in June. She says, one theme that came out is that teachers are working hard, but they need more support. They feel exhausted and saw increased workloads in June. They also said during June's provincial test run, only half of BC teachers felt safe leaving over a third unsure about a return in September. An overwhelming majority of teachers indicating stringent health and safety measures are essential and they say PPE is key to making schools work for teachers and students. Premier John Horgan speaking
1: about the survey results on Monday. Uh, we've got everybody at the table and we're going to do our level best to make sure we get it right for kids, get it right for families and get it right for teachers. Horgan also speaking more broadly about the province's return to school saying that it could change week to week. We're gonna have different approaches in those communities based on caseloads.
5: It is important for families to be flexible and for workplaces to think about being flexible as well.
7: The province is expected to unveil the entire plan on Wednesday, but for now the plan is a full return to school, especially from those kindergarten to grade seven. Teachers have been part of the conversation with the province along with other stakeholders to determine what exactly school in September will look like. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.
2: Many people found out this is day one of BC Park's controversial new system that requires people to have day passes at six of the province's most popular parks. Critics are zeroing in on the fact that people can't apply for the passes until 6 a.m. the same day, predicting that will doom the system to failure. Global's John Wadd tells us how things went
8: today. They came in droves to answer the call of the great outdoors.
9: But you can't get further north without a pass.
8: Where is it? But many were caught off guard by a new day-use pass system at six popular BC provincial parks.
10: We had to wait like an hour to get here, and then they're just like, oh, turn around and go back, guys.
8: Kind of a stupid idea why you have to have it. The reservations opened daily at 6 a.m. are meant to limit the amount of people visiting the parks during this pandemic. At Golden Ears, morning slots at East West Canyon and Alouette Boat Launch were sold out in less than 15 minutes. Even the afternoon bookings were gone by 8.30 a.m. If they're sold out in 15 minutes on a Monday, that I do find a little bit surprising. Um, And and that just means Saturday, Sunday should be um, pretty interesting. The minister responsible says it's better to miss out early than learn you're out of luck late.
4: I think personally that's far better than the many people who might have driven up, been turned away at the parking lot because there was no space without knowing in advance that they should look elsewhere.
8: Some still suffered that fate on the first day of this pilot project, forced to pull over and pray for enough cell reception in hopes of a last minute pass. It just feels way more highly regulated than it's ever been before. While beachgoers at Alouette Lake did have plenty of parking and room to enjoy the sun.
11: I think that is beautiful. <laughs> well, less is best, that's for sure.
8: Hikers on Cypress say there's a clear trade-off. It
12: ruins the spontaneity
8: of actually coming up to the mountain. It's
12: also going to be extremely challenging because the system itself is not working.
8: While there is currently no cost for a day-use pass, some worry. This is just laying the foundation to charge in the future.
4: We haven't made any decisions, including whether this pilot project will be successful.
8: For some right now, the cost is a growing frustration. you get a day pass today? We didn't. Over-controlling who gets to answer the call of the great outdoors. John Hua, Global News. And far more
2: people are staying closer to home, where Metro Vancouver beaches and parks provide some relief from the summer heat. Sarah McDonald has more on what you need to know before you go and why taking transit might be a better option, Sarah.
13: Chris, that's because behind me is some of the hottest real estate in Metro Vancouver right now. Parking spots in and around beaches and park space in the Tri-Cities. Demand is high, capacity is low, and that's driving some to desperate measures. For far too many British Columbians desperate to beat the heat by hitting beaches and parks across Metro Vancouver, being ticketed and towed has become the price of admission with designated parking lots packed in the Tri-Cities.
0: You gotta be here pretty early to get a parking spot. <laughs> if you're on the water, you feel like you've got all the space in the world, right. but the beach is pretty crowded. Yeah.
13: The region's swarming with visitors from right across the Lower Mainland for days now.
4: The illegal parking and the double parking and the towing is crazy. The, the lack of social distancing at the beach is ridiculous. And the lake just recently was recommended to be shut down for swimming by Fraser Health.
13: But even high levels of E. coli detected in parts of Sassamat Lake and the risk of contracting COVID aren't deterring crowds from places like White Pine Beach, where police have also been busy responding to a rash of incidents largely involving young adults in the past week.
4: I call it the Florida of Metro Vancouver. It is insane. And unfortunately, it it has to be a hotbed, not just of E. coli but of COVID to come.
13: Despite parking fines now tripled and tow truck operators on standby in hotspots like Belcarra. Visitors to regional spaces have skyrocketed by some 40% in the past six months.
1: We're going to have to do something regarding the uh, the capacity issue because we are limiting it with the COVID-19 right now.
13: With capacity capped and demand still soaring, the best thing we all can do is be respectful, take public transit when possible, and have a backup plan in place that doesn't involve this. And in fact, officials say you may want to have a couple of backup plans in mind and be prepared to settle for your second or third option when it comes to getting outdoors. For the past few days, all parking has been entirely gone by eight o'clock every morning. So come early, take transit or be prepared to be turned around. Chris.
2: All right. Thanks, Sarah. Sarah McDonald in Belcarra. Well, hopes of a fun summer of boating burned up for some owners in the Shuswab today after a fire at a Salmon Arm marina. Doesn't look good. There's a few boats burning there. RCMP say they were called to assist the fire department after reports of a fuel dock fire at Captain's Cove Marina. The Salmon Arm fire chief says five boats in all were affected, as well as part of the dock. Early indicators suggest the fire began following a boat refueling. They do not believe criminal activity was involved at this time. One person was treated and taken to hospital with non life threatening injuries. The Ramina, or sorry, the Marina and Gas Bar remains closed at the moment. COVID can't spoil one of the biggest parties of the year. Pride Week won't look like this, but organizers and Vancouver's mayor promise a lot of fun for everyone anyway. That story in just over a minute. Closer than ever to an answer for COVID, new developments that raise hope of a vaccine possibly by Christmas coming up on the News Hour, And not your typical police chase, how this naked American took BC Mounties on a two-hour trip down a lazy river coming up later. First though, today is the kickoff to one of the biggest parties of the year in Vancouver, although this year it's going to look a lot different. The Pride Week festival begins with everyone adjusting to a new normal, and Catherine Urquhart shows us what to
10: expect. Yeah, warm up bought today. <laughs> In the days ahead, Spectrum Wolf will be a popular photo prop. It's one of six large-scale art pieces installed throughout the West End. All of them created by trans, two-spirit, and queer artists. Part of Pride Week.
11: I think it's great to see the, the installations. It's nice to connect with the, the idea and, and it's really, really cool. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think
10: it's a great idea and I hope people can enjoy.
14: This is a wonderful
8: art. We like this.
10: Pride 2020 is happening, but because of the pandemic, it will be very different. Our virtual uh, Pride Parade, which is all edited together to a soundtrack, and it'll be uplifting and wonderful. And then we've got a virtual Sunset Beach Mainstage Show with all um, Cutie By Pop performers this year. So you can host a watching party in your living room or on your deck in your backyard. Also taking place, the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra will be presenting Symphonic Pride, a virtual concert performance On July 31st. There will be plenty of other fun events like drag delivery which involves handing out swag and prizes and micro weddings are planned. Details can be found at VancouverPride.ca. Unfortunately though this year's events won't be as financially beneficial. Tourism Vancouver estimates last year's Pride generated almost 32 million dollars in total direct spending.
8: I know
6: it's millions of dollars. It's, it's a huge event for us. And it's, uh, but it's really about the, it's about the celebration and also to recognize that it's, it's, it's about uh, you know, moving equality forward. It always is.
10: Still, there will be much to celebrate this year. And Pride 2020, while mostly virtual, is sure to be memorable. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
2: BC's Premier says the city of Victoria needs to show some leadership on homelessness. The camping bylaw there is intended to allow tents in parks overnight, but with no enforcement, other park users are being kept out. And as Brad McLeod reports, the capital city says it's taking the lead from provincial health. Several park
12: staff members are refusing to work in Victoria's Beacon Hill after two of them were verbally threatened with violence last week, calling 911 for help. And many living near the attraction don't feel safe either.
3: I would like to see it cleaned up, you know, on a sort of on a daily or a
12: weekly basis. The premier agrees, calling out the capital city saying they need to do more to address the homeless issue
1: instead of waiting on the province. There is uh, a bylaw in place that says you can't uh, uh, camp over uh, during the day. You have to fold up your your, your camp uh, in the morning. Uh, Victoria has chosen not to enforce that because they believe that uh, in a pandemic that would be ill-advised. Uh, I disagree with that. Victoria allows camping in these designated areas of Beacon Hill Park. Currently,
12: the city is in the courts to kick campers out of more environmentally sensitive areas. Victoria's mayor says she's just following Dr. Bonnie Henry's advice.
5: Until indoor sheltering solutions can be found, uh, disturbing encampments or displacing people from encampments probably causes more uh, harm than good. The premier
12: acknowledging the challenges facing homeless people are province-wide. Nanaimo,
1: Smithers, Kamloops, Kelowna.
12: Saying municipalities can make a difference by allowing and expediting unique zoning for out-of-the-box solutions to house the homeless. But after calling out the municipalities,
1: the premier asking the feds for help. Right across the province and we're redoubling our efforts and calling out to the federal government to work with us and municipal governments to work with us so we can find uh, solutions to these vexing problems. Horgan
12: says the province is working with shelters to figure out how the service providers
2: can safely get up and running again. Brian McLeod, Global News, Victoria. A moving ceremony today to honor the veterans of a war many Canadians often forget this country was involved in. Veterans of the Korean War and dignitaries gathered at the Ambassador of Peace War Memorial in Burnaby Central Park. 26,000 Canadian forces were involved in the Korean War from 1950 to 1953. 516 Canadians died there, more than 300 of them in combat. Canadian troops remained in the country for another three years after the war ended. Straight ahead, bad news at the Big Bar landslide. Salmon have had to stop. They need to rest. And Troubling developments that make it an even tougher migration than usual. And later, new clues about what caused a fatal plane crash on Gabriola Island.
0: Traffic is once again moving well eastbound on Highway 1 through Burnaby after clearing a major crash near Willingdon. It's steady both ways now on Highway 1 between Vancouver and the Burnaby Lake stretch. For 47 years, Kermac Collision and Auto Glass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
2: A Washington man attempting to flee into Canada led police on an unusual chase in southern B.C. last week. RCMP were notified on Friday of a stolen vehicle entering Canada illegally at the Port Cascade border crossing. The man dumped the vehicle after driving through a spike belt at the border and resisted arrest when Grand Fork's RCMP tried to arrest him. He then jumped into the waters of the slow-moving Kettle River where he floated for two and a half hours. RCMP were able to track the man by simply walking along the riverbank and nabbed him when the river narrowed. RCMP are working with CBSA officials on possible charges. The spawning run is never easy for salmon, but this year on the Fraser River, it's particularly difficult. Not only is there a massive rock slide near Lillooet still blocking their way, but as Ted Chernecki reports, the river itself is working against them. These are turbulent times
3: for BC salmon. The Fraser is running 63% faster than normal, someday setting
11: historical highs in water volume. So, right now we have water flow that's well above 7,000 cubic meters per second, or CMS. Uh, and salmon can normally move in water that's moving around, that's traveling at about 5,000 CMS. So, there's a huge disparity between what our regular Uh, migration river levels and what's happening right now, as a result salmon have had to stop.
3: That kind of current is ripping all kinds of sediment into the river and that's not good for the salmon that are no longer feeding and being forced to linger in the lower fraser.
14: They're essentially using up their reserves in holding. Concentrated sediments are um, are causing uh, damage uh, to their gills, these fish Um, will be impacted in their ability to make it to their their natal streams and we will likely see uh, pre-spawn mortality. Today the
3: Department of Fisheries updated the Big Bar project, showing six completed so-called whoosh tubes, where salmon enter these pipes and are whooshed past the slide and dropped back into the Fraser River upstream. They can carry 15,000 salmon a day, but so far only a few dozen have arrived. Those few that do make it here are now some of the most expensive fish in the world. Ask how much has been spent so far, DFO
11: would only say this. It's an expensive place to work and it's been an expensive operation. So when, when you look at the value of the, the salmon to the economy, when you look at the economic impact of losing salmon, uh, many would argue that uh, we need to put a lot of money into trying to save We are.
3: And this is only a temporary solution. Because of possibly two consecutive years of devastation to the salmon runs, DFO is also launching a number of recovery and hatchery initiatives. Ted Czernacki, Global News.
2: The Transportation Safety Board has completed an investigation into a fatal airplane crash on Gabriela Island with only clues to explain what might have happened. The TSB says the private plane left Cabo San Lucas en route to Nanaimo with an overnight stopover in California back in December. The report says the plane was traveling at 2,700 feet when it began to lose altitude. An air traffic controller told the pilot to gain altitude, but there was no response. The twin-engine plane crashed into the trees and caught fire. All three people on board the airplane died. The report did not determine the exact cause of the crash, but it does note that the plane's electronic horizontal situation indicator had acted up and was due for service the next day. Up ahead, the desperate struggle to contain COVID in the U.S.
0: We do believe that there are states that do need to close their bars to decrease indoor gatherings
2: parties still rage despite the danger and more than a thousand deaths a day and thousands sign up to help test a new covid vaccine when it might be available still to come good
0: evening two lanes north and one south at the lions bridge with no major holdups for northbound traffic through the stanley park causeway and across the bridge deck southbound traffic is a bit slow on the Cloverleaf from north and west vancouver Get back on the road in style with employee pricing on now at Chevrolet. We're extending our price to you on most 2020 models, but hurry in. Offer ends July 31st. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre.
2: With a recent surge in COVID-19 infections among young people, several experts say now is the best time for Canada to launch a new contact tracing app. An app is currently being beta tested across the country, but experts say getting people, particularly young people, to adopt the app could be beneficial as cases of COVID-19 start to rise. Young adults who visit bars, restaurants, and take transit pose a challenge to traditional contact tracing methods that rely on asking those with infections who they've come in contact with.
8: I can only tell you the people I spent time with. Uh, So that's absolutely got some value there. It's letting you know these kind of people you rushed by, these people you might have been near.
0: What's interesting right now is that there's a particularly good time. It's It's a particularly good time right now for the app to be launched just because we see right now that the majority of cases right now, the new ones, are from younger adults.
2: A recent study out of Oxford University found that in order for apps like this to be effective... A 60% adoption rate is required, but that doesn't necessarily have to be population-wide. If that number is concentrated in a particular demographic, like young adults, it can be beneficial as well. Early versions of contact tracing apps, including one launched earlier this year in Alberta, have struggled because the apps haven't been able to run in the background. The new federal technology uses technology from Google and Apple that fixes that glitch. Meantime, infections in Florida are skyrocketing, now surpassing New York in total cases. Fueling that spread, doctors say large gatherings like parties and church events.
14: With more than 420,000 cases of coronavirus reported in Florida, federal officials have stepped in to help, opening five surge testing sites in the southern part of the state. And this morning, the mayor of Miami-Dade County opened a new state-run testing site. The tests will be self-administered with an oral swab so people can remain safe in their cars. Florida is one of three states with more than 400,000 cases. New York is another, and California, the most populous state, is in the lead. But cases here in California are showing signs of leveling off. A Trump administration official says it's because people are social distancing and wearing masks. And a similar trend is underway in Arizona, Texas, and Florida. Dr. Deborah Burke says rising case numbers in other states are concerning.
0: We do believe that there are states that do need to close their bars to decrease indoor gatherings to less than 10 to really make it possible to control the pandemic before it gets worse in states like Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, Tennessee and Virginia.
2: In health matters tonight, it's a big week in the race to find a vaccine for COVID-19. The world's largest vaccine study starts its final phase three human trials today. U.S. biotech company Moderna is testing its vaccine candidate in up to 30,000 volunteers. And as Tom Costello reports, this could be a make or break period in the fight against the virus.
15: It's a make or break trial. The eyes of the world on the NIH and drug maker Moderna. Today, beginning phase three human vaccine trials, eventually involving 30,000 volunteers scattered across 89 sites in the U.S. Half receiving the vaccine candidate, half getting a placebo.
4: We're going to be counting cases of COVID 19 that occur in the participants. What obviously you want to see is that the vaccine reduces the number of cases of COVID-19 in people who've received the vaccine.
15: The volunteers won't be injected with COVID. Instead, they'll be exposed naturally as the virus spreads across the country. In Nebraska, 24-year-old volunteer John Penman received a shot today, thinking of his two grandmothers living with his parents while his mom works in a preschool.
9: I worry about it every day. So for me, this clinical study, this research study is something that I can do personally to benefit not only my family and my friends, but also humanity.
15: One of the reasons Moderna is moving so fast, rather than manipulating the live virus, it's reprogramming the virus's genetic code. The hope is that the immune system then creates COVID-fighting antibodies. Moderna has received nearly a billion dollars under the government's Operation Warp Speed and promises to produce 500 million doses per year. Also getting federal money and beginning phase three trials soon, Novavax, Johnson & Johnson, and AstraZeneca. Pfizer has not received government money, but just announced it's also starting late-stage trials. Today, Dr. Anthony Fauci said a vaccine could be developed by November. Worldwide, more than 25 vaccine candidates are right now in human trials. Not all will be approved. But importantly, researchers say we're likely to need more than one vaccine, each catered to a different age group and pre-existing
2: conditions. Also in health news, some new research might inspire you to alter your diet. A diet rich in plant-based foods can lower blood pressure even if a person still eats small amounts of dairy and meat. The research in the Journal of Hypertension reviewed 41 studies involving more than 8,000 people. Plant-based diets involve eating more fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds, and limiting the consumption of meat and dairy. Up ahead, UFO sightings on the upswing and it's way up there in the clouds. A man who knows the truth is out there and started a website after his own eerie experience. And in sports, the Canucks chemistry experiment, why their upcoming exhibition game is so important. A lot of people in the Okanagan were wondering if the scorching hot weather was ever going to come and finally it has. Global's Claudia Van Emmerich has more on the impact of the heat wave sweeping across the region.
5: It is the kind of heat the Okanagan is known for but this year it's taken a lot longer for this 30 plus degree weather to arrive.
9: It's been a cooler, more unsettled summer. We know June was very wet and chilly, and now finally the summer heat that most people have been waiting for for quite some time is going to spill in.
5: Spill in in a big and very hot way. So much so, Environment Canada has issued a heat warning for the Okanagan, one that initially was supposed to end on Tuesday, but has now been extended until at least Thursday, when the high could reach a scorching 37 degrees.
9: Later in the work week, it looks like the Okanagan will be in uh, potentially the hottest place in Canada.
5: The big ridge of high pressure bringing with it temperatures almost 10 degrees above average for this time of year. And while a heat wave like this is typical for the Okanagan, what's unusual is to have the first one this late in the season.
9: We usually do see at least a few more 30-degree days than we saw this year. A little bit earlier in the summer, June usually sees about four days on average, and in uh, July we usually see about 12, and we're at the last week of July, and we have only seen a handful of 30-degree days. So it's not uh, normal for us to see it this late in the season.
5: While many stick close to the water during the blazing temperatures, for others who have to work outside, including construction sites, Taking breaks inside or in the shade and drinking plenty of water are critical to avoid heat-related illnesses. As for how long this heat will last...
9: As we head through the August-long weekend, it does look like we will see daytime highs dip back a bit to the upper 20s or low 30s. And then into the first week of August, it does look like temperatures won't be as hot as this week. The mercury should still get up into the upper 20s. Some days may topping out in the low 30s.
5: Potentially a little higher in the South Okanagan. Claudia Van Amerck Global News, Kelowna.
2: Just off a great vacation to Osuius, thankful for all the warm oh. welcome. We we received there. It was absolutely beautiful. Now it feels like that around here too, Cassia. Yeah,
0: the heat is on for sure. Uh, today is the hottest of the bunch for us in Metro Vancouver. Tomorrow we have a marine air mass that's going to be pushing in. It'll cool things off ever so slightly for us. 25 at this point. Our daytime high was 29. A look at other daytime highs across the region. 37 in Kamloops. Look at that. Lilloo 38. 38 also in trail. And it felt hotter with the humidity. So in Coquitlam it felt like 36. And And inland sections, it felt very similar to what our thermometers were saying. And boy, was it ever hot. The hot spot in the entire country today, Lytton at 39.3 degrees. Tomorrow, it's going to be 33 in Lytton. So we cool off a little bit because of that marine air mass. These are the temperature uh, span, or this is the temperature span that we're anticipating for tomorrow. But it's going to be hottest on Thursday for the areas that do have this weather warning in place. It's going to be 40 in Lytton on Thursday. At this point, that's how it looks. So this is an official heat wave, the definition being three consecutive days or more of temperatures over 30. And according to Environment Canada, over the next 30 years, the number of extremely hot days is expected to more than double in some parts of Canada. Isn't that something... Tomorrow, 24 to 29 degrees with a chance of non-severe thunderstorms for these areas in the northeast of the province as well as the central interior. So here's how the day shapes up tomorrow. Mostly, well, we would say for the most part we've got a sunclad mix over most regions. A little bit warmer, especially along coastal sections. And across the south, it's going to be another hot one, a scorcher of a day. We cool off ever so slightly along the coast with daytime highs around 24 to 28 degrees and moving forward, hot days ahead. The next chance of precipitation will be Thursday evening into Friday. The Centra Windows weather window brought to us by Jerry, who went fishing at Jones Lake. Doesn't get any better than this, hey?
2: I am jonesing for a visit today.
0: Jones ah, Lake. Ah, well please. done.
2: Thank you, Jerry, for sending that in. And thank you, Kasha. All right, Squire just snuck into the studio uh, behind the camera. How are you doing there, Squire? I'm good. Welcome back. Thank you. Where were you anyway? Osuyas. Ah, well done. It was awesome. Okay. <laughs> the
11: uh, Whitecaps may be out of the uh, MLS tournament, but they learned a lot.
2: Our guys are coming out of this stronger. Last
11: night, they took on a much better Kansas City side. Took them the penalty kicks before losing.
2: Also coming up later, the Saskatchewan man who saw something in the sky and found out he was not alone. What's going on in pro sports? Let's start with hockey. Here's Squire. I know it's usually October. That's the month
11: everything is happening at once. Now it's August. The uh, NHL, well, I guess it's July right now, but soon it'll be August. The NHL announced today that everybody in their two hub cities has passed their COVID-19 test. Everyone is clean. Now the uh, Canucks have another kind of test on Wednesday in their one exhibition game before the Stanley Cup tournament. It's against Winnipeg, it's the only chance Travis Green has to see his players in a real game before things get real. So you'll see a pretty regular lineup, not your usual exhibition game lineup.
2: Yeah, no, we're gonna, I'm gonna play as close to, to the lineup as uh, we think that we're gonna have for game one. Uh, we'll dress an extra forward, we'll dress an extra D.
11: And this will be the last chance for some of the lesser lights to prove to Travis Green they should be in the lineup for the Minnesota series.
2: Well, it's no secret that we do have tough decisions, especially with our forward group. There's 15 uh, NHL forwards on our team right now, and you know, we've had scrimmages. But scrimmages are a little bit different. You're, you're probably not leaning on guys quite as hard. <clears throat> so it'll be good to play in a real game.
11: Yes, there's a real buzz... happening in Edmonton. It goes right through the microphone. Uh, Baseball didn't want to do the hub city idea that hockey, basketball, and Major League Soccer are doing. They wanted to travel to other cities per usual, but perhaps they haven't noticed. There's nothing usual about 2020, and now they're paying for that decision. 13, that's the rumor, 13 Miami Marlins have apparently tested positive for COVID-19. Because of that, Their games tonight and tomorrow against Baltimore are postponed. And tonight's game between the Yankees and Phillies was postponed because the Marlins played Philadelphia on the weekend. Jays seem okay right now. They're taking on Washington. Teoscar Hernandez, leadoff home run. Hernandez would hit two home runs in this game. We'll show you his other one. In fact, all four Blue Jay runs were via the solo homer. 4-1 4-1 win for Toronto over Washington. Whitecaps are on their way back home after being penalty kicked out of the MLS tournament last night by Kansas City. It wasn't a game Vancouver was expected to win. They were missing 11 players either through injury or guys who just decided not to go to the tournament in the first place. Place make that. But getting to the knockout round and surviving until penalty kicks was quite a feat in itself.
4: It's Gianluca Busio for Sporting Kansas City. All the Canadian teams are out of the MLS is back tournament. My guys are fantastic. The, the foundations of this group and the
2: foundations of what we could be about, are, it's great. My job is not to cry about who's not here. Everybody knows what's going on with us. My job is with who's here, how do we find solutions? Here's
4: Dahomey, he has a go, and it's giving the White Caps a corner. And when you look at it that way, Mark Dos
16: Santos and the Whitecaps are trying to create a portrait painting by numbers. Well, the majority of clubs like Sporting Kansas were creating their soccer version of the Mona Lisa thanks to a full, healthy
4: roster of regulars. It's something the Caps dearly missed during the MLS's back tournament. The squad that you saw tonight was a full it was a team it was a full team a team that played with full heart and a team that stepped up when everybody was needed so the depleted squad for me is is misused Um, obviously that we know that there were guys that weren't here but this is a learning lesson this is a a tournament that we can grow from as a young team and it's Hassel again
16: Making it to the knockout round of 16 is the kind of growth training can never equate to. Just look no further than 21-year-old Thomas Hassell, who threw up back-to-back regulation
4: time clean sheets. Teams grow from experiences like this, from tournaments like this, from times like this, especially in defeat. We're leaving this tournament stronger, that's for
11: sure. Over to you.
2: Got it. Thank you. Here's Jay Durant now, the preview of Global News at 11. Jay?
11: Thanks, Chris. We're getting late word tonight of a plane crash in the Fraser Valley. The light aircraft has gone down on an airstrip at the north end of Stave Lake. There were three people on board, no word on the extent of injuries. And the park board is voting tonight on whether to allow drinking in Vancouver parks. We'll let you know what parks, what the new rules will be, and when they could be put into place. We'll have those stories and a lot more when you join us tonight at 11, Chris.
2: Alright, sounds good. And when we come back, our salute to our healthcare hero and Star. Stargazing just got really interesting in Saskatchewan. Time to recognize another one of our healthcare heroes showing up for BC during the COVID-19 pandemic. And tonight's nomination comes from Maureen Kirkbride, who wanted to recognize her aunt, Sharon Johnson. So Sharon is a nurse, and today, July 27th, marks a very special day for her. It's her 50th anniversary at St. Paul's Hospital. Maureen says Sharon could have retired this year, but instead chose to stay on to help with the pandemic. She elected to continue her work as an IV therapist with full knowledge of the potential risks, supporting COVID-positive patients as well as others. Maureen exercises an extreme level of caution when donning and removing her PPE. As an IV therapist, the risk of infection due to patient proximity is very high, and both she and her husband, Ray, are in the high risk category for COVID. Now, despite that, she loves her job. And for 50 years now, Maureen says Sharon's dedication to her patients and to the field of nursing are unparalleled. She's also worked in the ICU, cardiac care, and emergency wards. So, Sharon, your niece says you are her healthcare hero. And we thank you all for your years of service to BC and your continued dedication to our province. That goes for all of the healthcare heroes we have recognized here over the last several weeks. All right, now to Saskatchewan, which is known for its breathtaking prairie vistas and wide open skies. And occasionally people look up and spot things they can't explain. As Global's Ryan Kessler shows us, there are those who believe we are not the only stargazers out there. And it's way up there in the clouds.
16: Sean Brown knows he saw something in the sky over Saskatoon. He's just not sure what it was.
14: I'm a believer. I think that there's something going on out there. I don't know what it is, if they're aliens from outer space or what it is, a government or, or whatnot.
16: It's one of five UFOs Brown says he spotted and a reason why he started an online community dedicated to tracking celestial sightings in Saskatchewan.
14: We've had sightings of things that aren't UFOs and they've been debunked because of of the page and people talking.
16: According to Winnipeg-based Ufology Research, there were 849 reported UFOs in Canada last year, like this one out of Saskatoon of two star-like objects moving together slowly that stopped, ascended together and disappeared.
15: Most of the cases that we receive are things like airplanes and and planets and stars and perhaps a fireball or a satellite.
16: Saskatchewan UFO sightings declined last year, part of a nationwide trend over five years. But 2020 is expected to be different with more people at home during a pandemic, plus new fascination with the cosmos thanks to Comet Neowise and the effect of SpaceX
15: satellites. They appear as long strings of lights moving in the sky like, like pearls on a necklace.
16: The vast majority, 97% of UFOs last year, could be explained according to ufology research. But one Prince Albert man who reports two sightings in five days says people shouldn't rush to conclusions.
1: It's always easy
4: to dismiss something until you're going through something that you can't explain yourself. And then, like, you know, what, what do you call it?
16: Until he and others have a definitive answer, the truth will remain out there. Ryan Kessler, Global News.
2: Cue the X Factor music. I think it's a balloon. Might be. Might be. There's, like they say, 99.9% of these things can be explained, right? And how do you explain totally a heat aliens. wave that rolls on? What did you say?
0: Totally aliens.
2: Totally, totally aliens. Don't bet on that, okay, but no. let's see the five day before we sign off. All on. right.
0: Let's get out of the way for that. Yeah, the heat is, continues right across the province.
2: Well, looks good. All right. Thanks very much for watching. You guys have a great evening. We'll see you back tomorrow.